acknowledge people said. Amen. Oh, are you guys taking a seat? <laughs> I was going to see if you guys wanted to greet each other, but um, why don't you guys actually turn to someone around you. You don't have to shake hands or anything. Just wave to somebody, somebody you haven't seen in a while, and then go ahead and take a seat. Sometimes I get so high, so low, where did all my good friends go? Sometimes I get so high, so low, where did all my good friends go? Drinking champagne from the fire escape, watching all my troubles rain down. Everyone's got somewhere to go, and I'm here with my head in the clouds. Billions of people, but there's no one like me. I'm left, I'm right, I'm out of my mind, don't even know myself. Sometimes I get so high, so low, where did all my good friends go? Sometimes I get so high, so low, where did all my good friends go? So wonder if I'll ever come down Billions of people But there's no one like me I'm left, I'm right I'm out of my mind I trust myself But I don't know why So I, so low Where did all my good friends go? Sometimes I get so Searching high and low for somebody like me, for somebody like me. Sometimes I get so high, so low, where did all my good friends go? Sometimes I get so high, so low, where did all my good friends go? Well, I'm glad you're here for a series that we're continuing called Highs and Lows. That song fits right in with it, um, where we're asking, what happens when the lows start to dominate my life? I don't feel like I can get out from underneath it, and that song 
has one of those elements where you just start to wonder, where are your friends? Why am I alone in this? What's happening with me? Over the last few months as I've been reading about this topic of sadness, I've been surprised by a couple things. One of the surprises is that it doesn't seem to matter how big or small the event in your life that causes sadness. The loss could be um, the loss of an expectation, a dream. It could be a divorce. It could be the loss of somebody's life that you cared about. It doesn't matter how big or low that is or bigger or small that is. What matters more is how you deal with sadness. Sadness has an opportunity to enter your life, and because our culture is so bad at it, even the smallest thing can mess with us in some pretty big ways. The second thing I've been surprised by is just the number of um, Scripture verses and sections of Scripture that address this subject. It's been staggering for me to lay these all out and try to think, how am I going to get this synthesized down to talk about this? Because there is so much content here. It started making me wonder, I've grown up in the church. I think I wouldn't need a whole hand to count the number of times I've heard this topic discussed. And either we're avoiding what's um, here Or we come at it from a different viewpoint when we talk about these verses. I suspect that's what it's about. Uh, I was having a conversation last week after second service with somebody. And um, initially it made me laugh and then I went away thinking about it. I'm going to tell you what they said, but I'm not going to quote them exactly. I can't remember that. Uh, But they were talking to me and they said, Blair, I couldn't help but wonder if you believe what you're teaching right now. Because you strike me as a really positive person. And I would think that if something came into your life that you would be sad about, you would rebound really quickly and just kind of move on. And, and I laughed because they were describing my personal style. I bounced back pretty quickly. Uh, there have been a few times in my life where I haven't, and it surprised me, but that's, that tends to be what I do. And then I realized as I was thinking about that conversation later, it's probably why Um, The church doesn't have a lot of these conversations because people in my roles, you almost have to have a positive, like, viewpoint of life. If you're a negative viewpoint of mine, you're not going to last. Like, you wouldn't be in the job very long. And so I I think what happens is they look at that section of scripture and they are trying to find a way to talk to you with a sense of positivity. And I want to say instead that sadness is a good thing. It's not bad. It's a process that God wants to move you through to get you to somewhere else. And that's where, that's what I think um, has happened as I had that conversation with that person, is they're waiting. They're waiting patiently for me to put the whole process together so that they can see the end, so that they can bring their positivity to it and say, see, this isn't supposed to be a permanent thing. How can I tell people to move on? And if I understand the whole process, I can push them to move on and get through it right at the end, right? Put on the smile, be happy, do what you need to do. And I just want to suggest, if that's what you're waiting for, if you have a, like a positive kind of outlook like I do as well, I just want to caution you with something. Last week, we said that God's created a process for sadness, It's about you seeking him and then waiting patiently. And and if your goal is to somehow ask people to move on from that process, what are you really saying? I want you to move on from being in the presence of God. 
I want you to move on and get over this quickly. If God wants to take two years with them in a process where they're seeking and waiting for him, why would you want that process to speed up? The problem is that we have concluded that sad is bad because for many of us, we have not used that process in the scriptures. We've not gone seeking, which means, man, I'm putting it all out there. I'm telling God everything. I'm emptying my guts. Everything that comes in, I'm, I'm putting it out there. I'm looking for wisdom. I'm seeking guidance. I'm, I'm sharing. Instead, if I, were to, if I were to just pick one word that highlights the way our culture deals with this topic more than anything else, it would be this word, hiding. We hide it. And we think we're honestly doing the best thing. Today, what I'm hoping to do is to help you identify if at times in your life you've used hiding or, or if you're in a season where maybe you could use some seeking. Like the, the outcomes are really different. And I think maybe sometimes the only way you'll identify what's happening in your life is if you can see that they have different outcomes. And so that's what I'm gonna try to do. I'm gonna try to describe them really differently. When it comes to hiding, it is so ingrained in our culture, and we go about it in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different types of hiding. I wrote some down that made me, um, sometimes we minimize what we say. Sometimes we bury it. Uh, one of my favorite is it's attached to a saying that has become so popular, most of us would agree with it, and I think it's wrong, dead wrong. Most of us would say, time heals all wounds. Have you ever met an older person who's bitter? Uh, somebody came to mind, right? Time didn't work out so friendly there, did it? Why? Because it's not true. Time does not heal all wounds. It gives us an excuse to bury it and think that if we just wait it out, this thing will go away in our lives and not have an impact. And so we have put these things on the shelf, hoping that we could just time this thing out and everything would be okay. It's not how it works. In fact, what happens is we stall when we hide things. And this is when the positive people come out. And they look at people and they say, listen, you just got to take some responsibility for where you're at. You've got to change your attitude. If you can change your attitude, then you can move on. They don't need a change of attitude. They need a change of process. And if you can identify that they're in an unhealthy process, then you can offer them something of value, which I'm convinced is pursuing God himself and then waiting patiently for God to do that work. That's what we're up against. We're trying to find a way to help people engage a different process in their life. This is not the same as running into somebody who's extremely negative. Uh, remember, these people have been swallowed by sadness. Something has flowed into their life that they didn't have control over, and now they're dealing with the outcomes of this. People who are just um, negative all the time, it doesn't matter what flows into their life. You could be at a celebration party for something great that's happening, and they'll find the one thing to complain about. It's because that's their bent. But that's not where these people are at. These people have been swallowed by sadness and they need a process that's healthy. They need to 
They need something else. And unfortunately, it's become so common in our culture to hide that we believe that we're doing the healthy thing when we do it. So what I'm hoping to do is kind of take you through, again, the outcomes of what's happening. And if you can identify that, maybe the light will go off. That something is not right in what I'm doing with my sadness if it's getting me where I'm going right now. Now, I thought I was going to have a hard time uh, piecing this together. I was like, I was going through Scripture and going, I'm going to have to pull pieces and sections. And then I came across something um, that got me excited. I can't wait to share it with you. It's a little odd. Um, And there's reasons that make it odd. And most of us would probably read right past this. But I'm going to ask you to think about it when we get to that section about why it's so odd. And I think there's some things there that will um, cause us to really think about sadness in a different way. I want to take you to John chapter 11. And in John chapter 11 is the story of Lazarus. And here's the background. Lazarus gets sick. Jesus is not in the same town as him, so messengers are sent to Jesus to get him back. By the way, he's two hours away. That is not a long journey in their day and age. That, That is not a day's hike. So a messenger goes and says, Lazarus is sick. We'd love you to come and take care of this. And Jesus doesn't go with them. In fact, the scriptures say he waits two more days. And then on the fourth day, he travels. So Lazarus, we find out, dies on this day that he was talked to initially. He waits two more days and then on the fourth day travels home. And that's where we find ourselves in the story. And uh, because of this, verse 37 records that the crowd is chatting based on Jesus' decisions. And this is what it says, verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I think this verse is important because I think what we're finding is that this is not just what the crowd thinks. He had two sisters, Martha and Mary, and I think this was on their mind as well. We sent for Jesus. We knew he was only a couple hours away. He didn't show up, and now our brother is dead. He could have done something about this. And then the scriptures, just earlier than that, the scriptures kind of reveal that Jesus interacts with them in a way that I think is odd. It's odd here. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, this is Mary, not Martha, and the Jews that had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. He was troubled in spirit, the scripture said. How troubled? Verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Why? Why is Jesus crying right now? You guys know the story, right? Now this is going to turn out. So does Jesus. The question is, why is he crying right now? Even more odd is who he's crying with. See, in verse 20 of this same chapter, it records how this turns out for Martha and Mary. They've asked Jesus to come back. He didn't. And in verse 20, it says this. When Martha hears that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. See, her first instinct is to go out. And if you go and you read the section of Scripture where she interacts with Jesus on this, I think you'll find the whole process that we're trying to lay out before you. 
She's going to seek and she's going to wait. And it's all detailed in there. Like she says some things, Jesus says some stuff back to have a conversation. It's really great. She's pulling it all out there. She even says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. So the very thing, this crowd is all mumbling and murmuring, it's, it's in her mind too. And she actually lays that before Jesus. But verse 20 reveals that that's not what Mary does. This is what verse 20 says about Mary. Mary stayed at home. They had very different reactions and responses. And if I were, if I were telling you what I think is happening here, I think Martha decided to go and engage Jesus. And Mary decided she was going to hide instead. And that's why it's kind of really fascinating when you get to verse 33, because Jesus is weeping with Mary, the one who had started hiding. And the reason she got there is because as part of this process, Jesus said, will you go get Mary and ask her to come to me? And she does. She actually leaves her home and comes, and Jesus meets her, and they cry together over this. This is what I think is odd. You know Lazarus is about to be raised, right? Jesus knows Lazarus is about to be raised. In fact, he tells Martha that was his whole intended purpose and waiting. He's going to do this to make a point. So this has been his plan, and he knows the plan. Don't you think this would be an incredible time to infuse some positivity into the conversation? Why are you sorrowful? Pick your chin up. Smile, I got this, chill out. All of this stuff could have easily been said. Instead, what we find is Jesus crying with her. And I think it's going to introduce us into something really important here. It turns out that sorrow is not nearly as bad as something else might have been. Like Jesus didn't have a problem with her feeling a deep sense of sorrow and even joining her in it. What was the bigger problem in this story? Mary initially stayed at home. And he had to call her away from that to a place where she could actually start to engage and have a conversation. And what you find here is a compare and contrast between two ways that we often deal with sadness. Martha went out. Man, she was going to have a conversation with Jesus. She was going to tell him what was on her mind, and they talked it out. Was she still sad? You bet she was. But Mary, Mary decided to avoid and hide. And Jesus knew if she kept going down that path, it was going to lead to somewhere destructive. And so he offered her a different door. And in this case, she took it. Now, here's the problem. If Mary stays at home and she hides from her sorrow and grief, we have a pretty good idea of how this turns out because our culture has become so good at hiding, we can now um, look at all kinds of studies, and I've read them, of what happens in people's lives when they don't deal with their grief and their mourning and their sorrow. And I want to give you a list. I want to give you a list of what Mary was headed for if she didn't do this, because it's all over in our culture. In fact, we have epidemics of all of these things that I'm about to tell you about. 
They're at record levels. So the first one is, if you decide to hide, there's a high likelihood that you're going to experience apathy. That you will stop caring about almost everything in your world. You won't care about your friends. You won't care about your family. You won't care about your job. You won't care about you. And people have dealt with their sadness by bearing it, and it turns into an apathy where they don't care about anything. They believe there is no other purpose or meaning in their life to pursue. So there's nothing worth caring about. And we have whole chunks of our culture right now who are caught in an apathy mill. They see no purpose in their existence. They've dealt poorly with their sadness. And the outcomes are not good. The second thing that's happening, could have happened to Mary if she would have stayed at home, was an addiction problem. We're seeing this everywhere. Why? Because what we found was when you experience sadness, sadness unloads a whole boatload of emotions into your life. And when we don't like sadness, when we like to hide from it, we're trying to find ways to dull that. And when the whole wave of emotions come in, you have to do extreme things to dull all of those emotions. And so people, they start addictive behavior. It could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be your work. Where you are just at work all the time so that you don't have to think about the emotions that you're experiencing. And you have a pile on your life that allows you to hide from all of that emotion. The other thing Mary avoided by coming to Jesus was more fear. Fear that I'm going to lose somebody else. Fear that I'm not going to get over this loss. The fear and anxiety that get like injected into your life when you have sadness that's undealt with in a healthy way becomes unbearable. I did experience this myself when I was going through that one season of, of sadness where I just I was having a hard time with it. And I started to remember that my responses to things all my life had been very positive and it was starting to change. And I would get a phone call and I would think, this is going to be bad news on the other line. Or um, I haven't heard from them in two hours. This is going to be a bad thing. And I started assuming, I started putting on layers of fear into my life that I would start looking at everything that was going on through that, through that lens. Another thing that happens is you become irritable because you are trying to put on a good face. You're trying to smile and make people happy. And you're trying to juggle all these emotions that are stirred up inside you and you can't. And so you're just irritated with people. And the smallest thing that they do, you light into, and it just becomes difficult. And I don't know, I don't know if you can identify any of those in your life right now. But it could be that you've got some sadness that's not been dealt with well. And because of this, it kind of gets stirred up in a lot of different ways. It could be that you're feeling just completely apathetic towards anything in life right now. That is a dangerous place. And God was trying to address this. Jesus was trying to address this by saying, Mary, I want you to come here. I want you to start a process 
where you'll come to me and we can go through this together. Something really important happens in this process. I want to see you. I want you to see this. Because at the core of this uh, conversation, I think, is that verse 37, where there's this question in the back of their minds as to whether Jesus could have prevented all of this in the first place. If you could have just stopped this, this would have been fine. But I want to take you back to Lamentations 3. Because I think there's going to be some things that we can grab there in light of the Lazarus story that's going to help us a little bit. Um, Because, again, this is a group of people who've been swallowed by sadness. They've lost their freedom. And in the middle of that, God is kind of renewing their hope. And in verse 31, it says this. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion So great is his unfailing love. This idea of being cast off by God was found in that story with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. If you would have shown up, this wouldn't have happened. They were concerned about what Jesus did or what Jesus didn't do. And they believed it had something to do with them. Like, why did you cast us off? And I want to be really careful with this section of scripture right here. Because this is, a, this is a way that people think about God often in times of sadness. They conclude that you withdraw from me, that you cast me off. And the writer, I'm convinced, and I'll show you why in just a second, but I'm convinced the writer is talking about how we feel, not how, the, how it is. And he makes a really important point here that I want you to catch. He says this does not go on forever. Whatever you're experiencing doesn't go on forever. I want you to get a hallmark of this process that you enter with God. Um, When you deal with sadness, it results in your grief, your sorrow, your mourning being temporary. You know it's healthy when it's temporary. If this has stretched on for years and years and years in your life, and you're not seeing movement, something's not right. Because God is intending to meet you with what? What did he say in those verses there? Compassion and unfailing love. By the way, isn't that exactly what we see in the story with Mary? See, he could have shown up and given her this positivity speech. He shows up and meets her exactly where she's at, And pours out love and compassion and cries with her because that's where she's at. You understand, when you're met like that, you're changed. And if you've not found yourself in a place where you're engaging with God, you probably won't be changed. And it could be part of the story that's unfolding. You've been somewhere for years. There's a chance that you're in a pattern of hiding, not in a pattern of engaging. And God doesn't want that for you. And I want you to see this. This is really important. Because I told you, I think, this is the way people think about this, but this is not how it is. In verse 33, right after he gets done saying this, he writes this. For he, God, does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. This is really important. It's kind of central if you're going to 
be able to address the kind of questions that Mary and Martha would have had. God, why didn't you? Where were you? How come? Why not? One of the things that you're going to find if you get into a process where you're engaging God's compassion and love is that you stop playing the blame game. You stop looking for who was at fault and assigning risk there. But when you hide, that naturally comes. I, I look to blame whoever it is. It's why, by the way, divorce is exceptionally high among families who lose a child. Because we don't do well with grief, we end up blaming each other. And they end up blaming each other for it and end up apart. We'll blame coworkers, we'll blame friends, we'll blame family members. And by the way, if you stay at it long enough, you will blame God. He will be the recipient of the one who did something wrong to you to cause this in your life. And in the middle of this group of people who are swallowed by sadness, he's reminding you, God didn't do this. He's not bringing about this affliction. His whole tenor and tone towards you is to find a way to bring you through a process of healing. And you'll know if that's working if you've stopped the blame game. The last thing I want to point out is that the movement that happens when you're in a healthy place with God, it kind of happens without force. It, it happens um, as you move through a process with God. In fact, here's maybe the way I would say this. I think the process of um, healing from grief or mourning in your life is a lot like uh, a tide. So you're the beach in the story. You're the beach in this picture. And onto this beach, onto your life, just keeps coming wave after wave of grief and mourning. And you're not sure you're ever going to get out from under it. You feel the weight of it. But see, in, in a process where you're engaging with a loving God who's walking alongside you, going through that process with you, it's like the tide is going out. And so slowly over time, it begins to recede in your life. And yeah, there's still things that lap up. And yeah, there's still things that hit. And there's unexpected big waves that come out of nowhere and still make it to shore. But over time, it moves away from your life. But I'm convinced that when you hide, it's like inviting the tide to come in. Because nothing's being dealt with. And so the waves keep hitting, but the water's moving in, and now it's rising, and it's all your life. It consumes you, and it just keeps battering you. And it holds you down. And it doesn't matter if somebody comes along and says, move on. Doesn't help. Because the goal was never to move on, it's to move with. You're to move with God. It's why he asked Mary, come out of your house. Don't stay there anymore. If you stay there, somebody's going to have to eventually look at you and tell you to move on. But you need to move with me. Come with me. I will cry with you. I will walk with you. We will go through this together. And you will see over time this receding process in your life. And I will take you to a place of health and healing and hope. It's not move on, it's move with. And if you've got the wrong process, you can see it 
by the outcomes that you have going on in your life. And if you could be honest about that, you could change the process. You can invite God into the middle of your mess. Start sharing this stuff deeply with him. Engage with other people who understand the process that you're going through. Who will look at you and say, I love you. You don't have to move on, but I want you to move with God. And I'll walk with you as you do that. Listen, church, this is our opportunity. Because I, I was not joking when I said epidemic levels for all those other things. We have whole groups of people who are now being swallowed by apathy, addictions, fear, you name it. We have the one the one person who can give them hope, his name is Jesus. And if we could point them to that process, if we could point them to walk with him, they could see some incredible things happen. Can I pray with you? God, I think sometimes the lows dominate because it feels right to do what Mary does. She just stays at home. She just bunkers down. She goes into protection mode. God, we do that because we don't think people will like our sadness. We don't think they're going to respond to our sadness well. But what we have not understood is that you are a God who wants to take this season in our lives to walk with us to a place where we find healing and hope. God, I'm convinced uh, because of how widespread our horrible way of dealing with sadness is that we have people in our group right here, right now, who are dealing with apathy. I know there's people here who are dealing with addictions. They're dealing with fear. And they haven't been able to be honest about the sadness that they're going through and so it holds them in place and it's stalled them. God, you have more for them than that. I just ask that as the Holy Spirit makes his rounds this morning, that they would hear from you that you have love and compassion that's available if they would just leave their home, if they would just step out and come to you. You'll meet them where they're at. Start them on a journey where they could be healed, where they could be whole. God, I ask that you would allow those of us to have positive outlooks on life, to be patient, kind, and gentle with the people that you want to walk with. Give us the grace to do that. Would you allow sadness? To move people to a place of hope. God, I ask you to do that in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.